Amen. You guys go ahead and take a seat. And as Rainy said, happy Mother's Day. I'm, I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, we're in this sermon series through 2 Timothy, but in one of these rare moments, um, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. And if you go read the passage we're going to look at, you would know why. Uh, and I'm going to redirect a little bit, and we're going to go into Ruth chapter 1. Uh, I've had a lot of time this week, so I was able to write a sermon um, in Ruth chapter 1. But before we do that, let me, let me take a second and address the obvious, the elephant in the room. Uh, first by saying thank you. Um, sincerely, the phone calls, the texts, the emails, the messages, oh, they've been overwhelming in the best of ways. Um, if I haven't responded to you, I'm going to get to you. I promise you it's been like 700 messages a day. Um, and I'm not kidding. So thank you for that. Uh, I want to answer the question that you might be asking as to why am I here? Um, because I've had that question multiple times. And there are multiple reasons for that. The first one is, and just so you know, I'm not choosing between being here and being at the hospital, okay? Um, because of COVID rules, uh, my kids aren't allowed in. Nobody's allowed in but me. Um, so I have my kids because they're kind of still my responsibility. Um, and what's really cool is Allison and I have a date night plan tonight. We have a babysitter. I'm going to go to the hospital and we're having a date together. So that's the first one. Here's, here's the next one. Um, we feel like given the circumstances of our life, it's vital for our kids to have a normal routine. So I'm still coaching lacrosse. We're still doing practices. Our kids are still doing everything that they were doing. And for us, church is a, uh, it's a vital part of our lives. So we didn't want to uproot everything for our kids, and we felt like it would be best for them to be here. Um, and then next, look, there's no place in the world I'd rather be than with you guys. Honestly, I, I feel like after this week, there's no place I'd rather be than with City Church. And there's no greater honor in the world than preaching God's word. Uh, I, I stand up here as somebody who really feels like I'm walking through the most difficult time of my life, and there's nowhere else I would rather be in the middle of these circumstances than to proclaim to you that I still believe that God is good. Everything I tell you every week, I believe is true. Okay, now, the last thing is this, and, um, and I think this is important. The elders push back on this a lot. They tried to get me to stay home. They tried to get me not to preach today. They wanted me to be 100% focused on Allison and the kids, especially on Mother's Day, and I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful that they stepped in and that they love us well. It's one of the many reasons why I'm glad that we're an elder-led church. I don't make these decisions on my own, although we fought about this one pretty hard. <laughs> Look, Allison and I really desire that the normal rhythms and routine of normalcy in our life continue as much as possible, and preaching is part of that. So... You guys, the elders, they want to serve us well, and they love us well, so they agreed upon my request, which means that you get to hear me rant for the next 45 minutes on um, this sermon, all right? That's it. Um, thank you, seriously, thank you for everything. All right, uh, have, many of you have probably never heard of this, but there's, there's something called the paradox of limitations, and, and it's something I'm feeling right now, and it goes like this. <clears throat> the more you try to manage your time with the goal of achieving a feeling of total control, if you've ever been there, um, that freedom uh, that, that freedom that you feel in those moments, they just become more constraints on you as a human being. They, they, they help you to feel more stressed, more empty, and more frustrated at life the more you try to manage your time. 
But the more you confront the fact that you are finite, what ends up happening is instead of you getting upset in those moments, the paradox of limitation is, is the more you confront the fact that you're finite, the more you actually become more productive, meaningful, and joyful because you live within the limitations of your constraints. That's basically how I felt this week. And the more that I sit in the moment, the more I understand my own limits, the less stressed I actually am, the less stressed we all are. Y'all, I can't think of a better word for me personally and for moms today than that. It's, it's understanding that we can't be superheroes all the time. Part of being a human being is learning to live within the beautiful limits of your constraint. Today, we're going to look at a story in the Bible out of Ruth chapter 1 of two ladies who I think show the beauty of constraint and the trust in God maybe better than anybody else in the Bible. See, if you're anything like me and Allison, well, you know, like this is the word you really need to hear from God more than anything. Because God has promised, he's promised that he's good even when life doesn't make sense. That God's present in the middle, in these gray spaces, when when it all seems to be falling apart, it's still the greatest lesson we need to learn is that God is in control, and on Mother's Day, you can trust him because he understands the space that you're in. So let me begin by stating the obvious. All of us have a mom, right? You didn't come into this world. By the way, this is in my notes, but the other day I was at lacrosse practice, and um, this little girl comes up to me, and she's like, I don't know how two human beings make a baby. I'm like, you might want to go ask your daddy because I'm not having that conversation with you. But we all have a mom. We all, and I, but not everybody's mom experience was great. I get that. Mine wasn't so great, right? Some of you, days like today, trigger some emotions in your mind uh, about your past and the unmet expectations that maybe the tension that you had with your mom. For others of you, it's a reminder that you just can't be a mom. Maybe not now, maybe not ever. And then there's the group of you that you're on the other side of things and you're a mom that your life is filled with regrets. You sit here and you wish that you could go back and do it all over again. Listen, if that's you, let me just say one thing. God's grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. You you get that it's the same truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for you that's true even in your mess as it is in your perfection. And I just don't think God's after perfect parents anyway. I think most of us have to live in the limitations of who we are. For the rest of us, for the rest of us, today might be a great celebration of the amazing mom that you are or the amazing mom that you've had. And we need to celebrate these times. We need to be thankful for the women in our lives because they help us to understand who God is. When I think about a mom, I can't think of a better picture than a seed that goes into the ground and dies. I've told you this often. It's that's how everything on this planet grows is something has to go into the ground and die. And the picture of my life and the picture of my kid's life is my mom or my wife who continually dies to herself every day so that we can blossom and thrive and grow. Every day. That's how I've watched. And honestly, I appreciate it a lot more this week as I'm being Mr. Mom. See, even today, even today, the one person I can't stop thinking about, and she's watching online, is my wife, who literally gives up her life on a daily basis, like on Monday. On Monday, whenever I'm sitting in the office, uh, and our entire lives got turned upside down. I'm sitting there, my wife called me 10 times, and I ignored it 10 times, but that's that's the normal part. And then I get the text message that says, 911, you need to call me now. 
Um, I call her, and uh, she tells me that she thinks her water broke, and she's 28 weeks pregnant, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So we drive over to her OB, and her OB tells us, you need to get to the hospital right away, and my amazing wife sat there like a science project, being poked and prodded by so many people, losing all of her dignity for the day, and she didn't think about herself one time. It wasn't until the moment that it hit her that the doctor told her, you're not going home for the next month and a half, that she lost it. And it wasn't because of her. It was because of our kids. And I just think that's a mom. That's what a mom does. And she thinks about the baby inside of her belly, and she thinks about our kids at home. And then the stupid COVID rules, if I can say that, um, said that our kids aren't allowed inside the hospital. So it was just me. And so she sat there. She sat there thinking about everybody but herself. And she continues to do that. Every day she calls me and I'm having to remind her, Allison, I got this. Like, we're going to get through this, which we all know I don't have this. She knows that. That's why she reminds me every day. She's like, you need to brush the kid's hair again. I was like, I don't know how to brush a little girl's hair. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're going to school like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what moms always do, right? My, mom, or my wife quit her career to take care of our kids. And listen, I know a ton of you have done the same thing. A ton of you have quit your careers to take care of your kids. And tons of you have continued in your careers because you want a better life for your kids. So hear me whenever I say this because I think churches do a bad job of this. We try to create a dichotomy like the good moms are the ones who stay home and the bad moms are the ones who work. That's, that's baloney. Everybody has a different path of life. But what I know is both of you do it for good reasons. Right? You want to take care of you want to take care of the people around you. I, I watch my wife. She never takes the day off. She's always cleaning. She's always cooking. She's always caring for you. She's always thinking about everybody else, and she's not unique. She's like most of the ladies that I know in this room, most of the ladies I know in this church. You all sacrifice all the time. You're always putting everybody else's needs ahead of yourself. You literally die to yourself every day, and we are all the beneficiaries of it. So happy Mother's Day. I wanted to say thank you. I think it's appropriate at times to just stop and say, thanks for doing what you do. All right? Ruth chapter 1, if you have that, meet me over there. If you don't know where the book of Ruth is, because it's hard to find, it's right after the book of Judges. So you have the first five books of the Bible. Keep going. It's at the very beginning. So it's Ruth, our Judges, then Ruth. Okay? We're going to look at the first chapter. Here we go. Take a sip of water real quick. All right. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem, that's kind of a famous city if you didn't know that, in Judah, and that's going to be important in a little bit, you're going to see some dots connected, went sojourning in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now get this, I want you to get some of the context, because I don't have a lot of time to unpack this today, but Bethlehem, he's a man of Bethlehem, Bethlehem is the promised land. Okay, if you read this, it's the land that God promised would be filled with milk and honey, and yet the very first things that you read here is that there's a famine in the land, right? Sin has turned everything upside down. The places and the spaces that are supposed to be perfect are not. They're actually a total wreck, and that's what happens. Sin takes the good things that God promises and turns them upside down, but what I want you to see today is that God takes the things that we turn upside down, and he redeems them in ways that you'll never be able to imagine in this life. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and their two sons were Malon and Kilion, which in Hebrew, you're going to miss this in English, but in Hebrew, it means sickly and spent. That's going to be important, too. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. 
they went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and their names were Orpha, she was kind of an annoying talk show host, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. All right, there's a lot of context that I need to catch you up on here that you miss in English. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth actually comes right after the book of Proverbs, which is intentional because if you're a lady in the room, the best proverb is Proverbs 31. So you get this whole depiction about what a godly woman is supposed to look like, and then you walk into the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi are both in here because they're godly women, and godly women caught in some pretty difficult situations. See, it's tough because you lose a lot in the Hebrew translation. There's some backdrop here. Like Naomi's sons, whose names mean shameful and despise, because these were Jewish men who were not supposed to marry a Moabite woman. You notice that, the, that their wives are Moabites. These are the people, if you know anything of Israel's history, the Moabites were the people that were created through the ancestral relationship between Lot and his daughter. They were despised people. They were people that you were never supposed to have any kind of association with. And then the historical backdrop of this, I'm going to show it to you in a second, comes out of Judges chapter 17. Okay, in Judges chapter 17, it might be one of the most awful verses in the entire Bible. Here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then the very next verse says this. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. By the way, do you see the context? Keep that slide up there and listen to what verse 1 says. In those days... The judges ruled, uh, in those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in the city of Judah went to sojourn in Moab. See that? It's actually talking about Naomi's husband. Now, what you need to know about Naomi's husband is he's a Levite. A Levite is kind of like a junior varsity priest. He was a priest assistant. What ends up happening in this chapter is that there is a false prophet that her husband follows after, and they make false gods, and they walk away from God. That is her husband. That's the context of her life. She is married to a junior varsity Jewish priest who walks away from the faith to worship a false god, which ends up creating a context for her family to where her sons walk away from the faith and marry Moabite women. They, move, they marry outside of their religion. Y'all, I can't imagine how hard things must have been for all of her life. And now on top of all that context... Her husband and her two sons die. They are living in a gray zone of God's grace, aren't they? Everything in this world is falling apart around them, and it was in a context where things did not go well for single women during this time. But the thing I love about her and her daughter, about Naomi and Ruth, is against all odds, they trust the Lord in the deepest, darkest days of their life. Again, wrap your heads around their circumstances. She's a widow in a foreign land during a time when it didn't go well for people like her and she trusted God. By the way, if you fast forward a couple thousand years, what you see is the theme of the book of Ruth come alive. The theme of the book of Ruth, is it's said it 23 times in the book of Ruth, is the idea of redemption. Matter of fact, there's one word here. It's a, it's a theme word, and you can write it down and go study it later. It's called a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer, if you want to talk about that for just a second, 
In those days, if you went into debt, you would have to sell your property or your family inheritance to pay off those debts. But here's the deal. There was a way to, to pay your debts back, to get your property back, or to get your family's inheritance back. And if you couldn't do that, the, persis, the person closest to kin or your closest relative, literally your kinsman, could redeem your family. That's what a kinsman redeemer is. The book of Ruth is going to show you that there's a man named Boaz who becomes the kinsman redeemer for this family. And that man named Boaz would bring Naomi and Ruth into their family. And if you fast forward a couple generations, they would have a son who would have a son who would have a son. And that son's name would be Jesus. See, the book of Ruth is the spoiler alert for all of Israel and for you that in your darkest times, God will win. It's a reminder to the entire nation of Israel while it's all falling apart around them that God is in control and he understands your future. And I couldn't think of a better message for all of us right now than that. By the way, the very first time the word hope shows up in the Bible is in the book of Ruth. And that word hope, it's a fascinating word because in English, hope means something like to anticipate or want something that you have no control over. And that's not at all what it means in the Bible. The biblical Hebrew text, hope means the assurance of something that's going to happen in the future that you are going to leverage your life on. The best example of this is Hebrews chapter 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The book of Ruth is our hope. It's our hope. Now listen, mom. Again, I don't know your story. But what I do know is that God takes the faithfulness of the most unlikely people and he redeems our lives in the most unlikely of ways. Ways that you may never appreciate. You know, I think about my stepmom. My stepmom who literally, if you will, stepped into the gap where my mom left off. And she'll never fully appreciate the sacrifices that she made is honestly in part why I'm here today. Because she sacrificed so much. She died to her preferences and she poured her life out into kids that weren't biologically hers, the trajectory of my life has changed. Mom, your kids will never see your sacrifices. They'll never appreciate them. They'll never understand the sleepless nights that you had when they were babies to wake up and feed them and change them while your husband just slept. At least that was how my house was. They'll never understand the sleepless nights that you have as you mother them to go out of the nest and you worry deeply about this world that they live in. But they will benefit from your faithfulness just like all of us have benefited from the faithfulness of Naomi. And God sees you in the middle of it. Look at verse 3 again. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. In case you're not tracking, Ruth and Naomi's daughter, or Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. Again, hear this in the context. She owes her nothing, right? They're not actually family, and they're living in a foreign land. Y'all, Naomi might be one of the most underrated moms in the Bible because she follows her husband even after he, even after he walks off the cliff. And she takes her daughter-in-law in when she doesn't have to. See, I think that there are really two things about her that can translate to all moms. Number one is this, she's loyal. She is loyal, y'all. It would have been reasonable in the most reasonable ways for Naomi to just go back home. 
to not follow her husband, to drop it off, to go in a different direction as he goes into destruction. Anybody would have thought that that was reasonable, right? But she trusts God in her circumstances. She doesn't trust her circumstances to determine her life. You know how I know that? In Hebrew, the entire book is what you call a poetic chaotic, uh, uh, chiastic structure, okay? Now, this is getting a little nerdy, but it's a V. Means that the first part and the last part match. The whole book is a poetry. Now, what's really cool about this, and here's the crazy thing, is like all stories, it's supposed to begin with life, right? That's the story of life. You're born into life. It's a Hebrew poetic structure to show you life, except the book of Ruth does not begin with life. It begins with death. It's, it begins with death because, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. But think about it. All, all books of the Bible, all good ones, if you will, start with a genealogy. Think about the book of Matthew, right? It's life. It's life. It's life. It's life. Not this one. But notice how it ends. It ends with life. That's the beautiful part because God takes the broken things of this world and he redeems them in such a way that he brings life. See, that's what the book of Ruth was supposed to show you, is that her faithfulness, although it started in the worst of trajectories, will end with God rewriting her story. Look at it. Boaz, this is how it ends. Fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. King David. King David is in the family of Naomi. Think about how amazing that is. I'm just telling you, a lot of us are sitting here in the middle of some hard times, wondering, God, where are you? The book of Ruth is supposed to show you that God is right where he's supposed to be. And I get how hard this is. Again, guys, the last few days have been the hardest days of our entire life. The emotions of sitting in the hospital, trying to talk to my kids, trying to explain to them that mommy's not coming home for a month and a half has been super hard. But it's in the struggles that God has met us. It's in your phone calls. It's in your text messages. It's in these moments sitting at night that God has answered our prayers. I can't tell you how grateful I have been to watch how God has used you to rally around us. Maybe you're sitting in one of those moments. And it just seems like everything is so far away, doesn't it? It seems like it's all falling apart. What if you, like Naomi, just leaned into God and trusted him in your circumstances instead of letting your circumstances dictate the way that you felt about life? I just believe that God takes broken things and he makes them whole again, but he does that as we lean and trust him. Like, I love this song, right? You turn graves into gardens, you turn bones into armies, you turn seas into highways, you are the only one who can. That's who God is and that's what he does. He takes the messiness of your story and he paints a masterpiece with it. See, Naomi, she wasn't just loyal to her husband, she was loyal through her husband to her God. And I think for many of us, that's where we need to sit. We need to through our circumstances to our God. She was more than a wife, she was more than a mom, she was a child of God. And because she was a child of God, she was loyal to her God. Number two, she's compassionate. Look at verse six, after a momentary break. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab. <clears throat> For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. <coughs> so she set out from the place where she was with her daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. 
But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. You see it? You see the humility, the compassion? For Naomi, she was looking in the rearview mirror, but as she looked back, she noticed that her daughters-in-law's life were looking forward. She realized that she couldn't offer them anything. So with what little she had left as a mom, she gave it up for them. Again, can you paint a better picture of a godly woman? I mean, let's be real. Her life was hard. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. Things were pretty bad, right? Her pet's heads were falling off. Everything was, that was for Matt. If you don't get that reference, you might not be a millennial. Uh, and she tells her kids to go. See what? Moms, I, I know you can probably read the emotion into this. I know you can probably feel the feels of what she's feeling. Dad's probably not. You might have just picked up on his mother's day. I get that. I got you. Hey, if you just go home and Google flowers, you can get them delivered to the house and just tell her there's always plants. But for you, moms, like you sit here in this moment and you read the undercurrent of the story is hard. But she's compassionate and grace-filled. She's a lady that... With everything going on in her life, she puts aside her own feelings for everybody else around her. See, you're able to enter into other people's stories. That's what moms do. That's what, honestly, ladies do. You lean in when things get hard. And it was her kindness and her compassion that allowed the Lord to enter into the lives of everybody around her to receive the grace that they all needed. Listen, it's the same attributes that we see clearly in all of you. And that's why I love her story. Keep going with me. Then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am old. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons. Would you therefore wait until they're all grown? That's pretty reasonable, right? Like, you're not going to wait. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake, underline that, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Isn't that the selfless sacrifice? Not for my sake, for your sake. Then they lifted up their voices, they wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. See, that's legitimate compassion and grace. She's like, I don't have anything to offer you. And the little bit that I have, I want to give it away so that you can have a chance at life. All right, verse 15. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. When you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that it was determined, that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. See, there's something beautiful going on here. The God who sees Ruth and Naomi speaks some of the most prophetically powerful words in all of history through Ruth. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. 
Remember, she's a Moabite. She doesn't worship Jesus. She is a Gentile. And yet, in this moment, God speaks these prophetic words through her, and she's right. That God has a bigger plan. That God is going to make all people, all peoples, if you will, people groups, he's going to make a way for them through Jesus. See, remember I told you that the idea of this book is Redeemer? If you keep reading, again, you, she's going to just so happen upon a field in chapter 2. What's funny about that is nothing is just so happenstance with God. Like you realize things don't just happen in the Christian life. God is sovereign. And he puts his sovereign hand on this famine to make them go away, to determine the circumstances of their life, to bring them back at the proper time so that in Bethlehem he could bring a redeemer who would be born. Again, get the storyline. What do we worship on Christmas? I just so happened that one day in Bethlehem, because of a famine, the people had to go and register for a census, and they find themselves in an inn, and it just so happens that their Redeemer is born. Thousands of years later, Jesus is telling you that none of this is on accident. Y'all, Naomi thought she was hungry for bread, and God told her, I have a better bread, an ultimate bread, a bread of life, and that's what you need. You see, that's the point of the book, and that's the reminder that all of us are supposed to have right now. Nothing is on accident. And as I tell you that, I need to hear that. Nothing is on accident. Moms, God knows exactly what you're doing. And when it all seems to be falling apart, none of it's on accident. Even if you're walking through the storms of life right now, it's on purpose. God is moving, and he's shaping your life through your faithfulness, and it's in those dark times that you see God most clearly. See, it's because a widow lady with nothing left was willing to lean into God's grace during a terrible time that God rewrote all of our stories. It's because an outcast girl named Ruth was willing not to abandon her mother-in-law that God would make things happen upon her in a field where her redeemer would be. And it's because the faithfulness of a few unexpected heroes that Jesus would come into this world several generations later, to become our ultimate redeemer. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, so that we wouldn't have to find the famine of life, we could find the bread of life through him. Jesus, sacrifice like Boaz, so that we could receive the redemption that Ruth and Naomi received. See, every bit of it is a picture of God's grace. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means in Hebrew, sweet, but call me Mara, which means bitter. By the way, if you go to the end of the book, God shows Naomi how all of this was meant to redeem her in such a way that her bitterness would become sweet again, where she would hold her grandbabies again, where everything would change for her good and his glory again, and that's how God works. God takes the bitterness of life and allows you to taste the sweetness even in the midst of your sorrow. For the Almighty, she says, has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Little did they know, it really was the beginning of harvest. You see, there's two perspectives when life gets hard. The first one is, 
that the hand of the Lord is against you for bitterness. That God has you where you are because he's mad at you. And the second one, the second one is that you can believe that God is writing a bigger story than you can ever imagine in the moment. That God is creating a book that has more than one chapter in it. What I love about the book of Ruth is it has four chapters all headed towards redemption. See, on Mother's Day, I want to remind you that your story does not end at chapter one. Regardless of what your story is, I want to remind you that you can return home even after the famine because God wants to rewrite your story. Listen, I'm just not telling you this as somebody who has it all together. I'm telling you this, and I just, I I always want to be transparent with you. I'm telling you this as somebody who believes it. I'm sitting here believing that what's happening in my life right now is God's goodness, and I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if my baby's going to be okay. I don't know if my wife's going to be okay. I don't know if my other three kids are going to be okay. And we're sitting in a house every night by ourselves, and I'm just telling you, I trust God. This stuff up here is not fake to me. I believe every word that this word says, and because I believe it, I'm going to lean into it. Listen, I don't want my story, but it's worth it, because God is worth it. See, he's worth every single breath in my lungs. And I want to base my life off of the things that I know to be true, not the circumstances that are thrown at me. I want to be like Jonathan Edwards, who prayed over his kids for the five generations ahead, who said he's believing that God will save every single one of them. See, I want to believe, I want to believe him in the context of my suffering, because as I walk through the valley, he's the one that leads me. I believe that's true. As I suffer right now, listen, the world is not worthy of the child that's going to be born. And I believe that they are going to do some pretty incredible things. That baby that's in her mother's womb, and I'm going to believe God for it, and I'm going to give everything I have to it. See, I believe that every single one of us has a story that God is writing through you. So moms, lean in. Don't give up. Keep dying to yourself and keep letting the Lord paint a picture through you. Keep making beautiful human beings through your sacrificial love. And moms, God doesn't need perfect parents. He needs present parents. That's the most important thing. Just like Ruth and Naomi, they didn't have it all together and they didn't have much to offer to God. But at the end of it, God used them not because of their ability, but because of their availability. And that's what God wants for you too. Now let me give you one other word real quick. There's a theme of adoption throughout this book. And for some of you, and I know who you are, you may never be able to have your own kids, but listen, God sees you. Look, Ruth was not Naomi's kid. She adopted her. And that's the beautiful thing. You see, in the same scene, you get the idea of Boaz as the kinsman redeemer adopting Ruth into his family, just like Jesus adopted us. Listen, when you adopt somebody into your family, you are being fruitful and multiplying just like God commanded in the book of Genesis. There are multiple ways of doing this, and I just think that God smiles down on you because in the most beautiful way, it is the picture of the gospel. Taking somebody who's not biologically yours and bringing them into a family shows exactly what God did for you. It is amazing. It's one of the greatest pictures I can see. Then when your kids, when your kids one day look back, they are going to be thankful for you, and I hope that they see through you to seeing that God was building a kingdom and God smiles at every one of us. Listen, God cares. God cares for people in need, and you caring for people in need reflects him to the world. Guys, no matter, no matter if you're a mom, 
or you're not a mom, or you can't be a mom. The way that we interact in this world, it paints a picture for the gospel for everybody to see. Listen, it's Jesus' love that compelled him to come down. You, you get this. It, it compelled him to come down and to enter into our mess to call us by name. It's Jesus who brought us into his family. The same Christ who brought us into his family is the same Christ that's going to give you a name, that's going to feed you, that's going to make you a family, and we get to do the same exact thing. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, it's the same God that enters in right now, and Jesus is enough. He's enough for you, and he's enough for me. When everything gets stripped away, and it has for us, give me Jesus. And I pray that that's how you feel too. What if today, what if today was the day that we learned to lean into our Savior, our Redeemer? What if we saw that our story was so much bigger than just right here, right now? You see, it's easy to find yourself in this story and think that I'm more like Boaz, I'm the Redeemer. But the reality is, is all of us are more like Ruth. We're the ones who walked away. We're the ones who need to be redeemed, and we're the ones who find a home in Jesus. See, we're the ones that without God are lost. But we're the ones that when we choose to go back home, we will find God. And as we do, and as we do, we receive a new name, a new family. We get a new lineage that goes all the way beyond us. We get redeemed and adopted. Do you know, again, that word hope? It's found here because this book is supposed to give you hope. See, everything, everything's going against these ladies. They're widows. They're divorced. They're childless. They're not from the right family. But the book of Ruth is left with one major question. It's the same question that, that, that defines the whole book that I want to leave you with. It comes out of Ruth chapter 2, and here's what it says. Whose young woman is this? That's the question of the book, but that's really the question of life. Whose are you? Whose are you? See, it's really easy to worship Jesus on the mountaintop, but when things go awry, whose are you? Whose are you? You know what God says? They're mine. You see, God takes broken things and he makes them whole again. God takes what Satan meant for evil and he does good out of it. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here with the same labels that they had. You see it? The identity question here, whose are you? Well, Ruth, was Ruth mainly a Moabite woman to be despised? Was she divorced and useless? Was she poor and a stranger to be shunned? Was she damaged goods? I'll tell you, that's what all of society would have said about her. But no, she's not. She's more than the labels that culture gives her, and so are you. Listen, if you, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what people say about you because you have to understand what Jesus says about you. Jesus says that you are a child adopted by God. You're not a stranger, but you belong. You're not damaged goods because you were washed with the blood of Jesus. In the kingdom of God, you are not poor and you're not a stranger. You are a co-heir to his kingdom who will rule over this world one day. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And that can be your story too. And here's how I know. 25 generations after Ruth stepped onto the scenes. In the city of Naomi, Bethlehem, you got a Kingsley Redeemer. The same person that gave them hope is the same person that can give you hope. Guys, you can't make this stuff up. That's why I love this book. As you dig deeply into this book, none of it is on accident. And it's a reminder to you that whenever nothing makes sense, 
that God still knows exactly what he's doing, and he is worth it. Listen, just like the book of Ruth, just like the book of Ruth, where it seems to start with death and ends with life, that's what the Christian life is. See, the Christian life doesn't end with death, it ends with life, a new life in Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation, behold, the old is gone and the new has come. That Jesus promises to end your life with life. That's what he offers today. That's what we're going to celebrate in the next service is two baptisms. Because death always ends with life. By the way, that's why I love Mother's Day. Mother's Day, again, it's a reminder to me of all the ladies in this room who have died continually to themselves. To be like Ruth and to be like Naomi. And because of your faithfulness, we get to see a picture of Jesus even today. But it's not just for moms, it's for all of us. It's the same pattern, death to life, daily and even throughout the course of our life. And as you do that, what you get is you get to experience hope, hope in all the seasons, when it's blossoming and when it's winter. And that's what Jesus offers. That's why I wanted to talk about the book of Ruth today, because maybe, maybe this is my therapy session to you guys. Um, but the reality is I believe it. I believe it, and I want you to as well. I don't want this to be a theoretical thing that we do once a week on Sundays and go back to our world where we just get back in the grind. I want you to really believe that God is good. And I want you to see that this word is a reminder that he is good. All right? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I believe it. I believe it, and I hope that we would receive it. Lord, in the middle of it all, whether it be a joyful day or a sorrowful day, help us to know that you are kind and good, and merciful. Thank you, Jesus, that you are taking our story and you are writing a better one. That there's more chapters in this life than the one that we're sitting in. And Lord, that you are sovereign over it all. We love you, we worship you, and we praise you in Jesus' name.